Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. But today, I just want you to know that you're going to be absolutely blessed and encouraged and challenged by the word of the Lord. So I would love for everybody to please stand to your feet as Steve Miller comes to the stage. Put your hands together. Let him know how happy you are to see him. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's awesome to be here. Um, and, and I, too, am thankful to the Lord for our new relationship um, with your pastors. And, um, you know, I'm not a rookie. I've been doing this for a long time. And uh, I can walk into a place and you can just tell if somebody is leading and leading with the standard of excellence and believes and loves people, believes in people, not just doing their own thing. And you guys should give your pastors a big hand this morning because you've got some great, really great leadership here today. Amen. And um, glad to have my wife, uh, Mary, for 41 years now. She is the, uh, she's the peanuts in my snicker bar. She's the, the Captain Crunch in my um, Blue Bell ice cream cereal. <laughs> Amen. I saw her walking across the basketball court on my third day at a brand new school. And I'm at 14 and I said, dude, who is that? The dude I was talking to is my friend to this day, Lloyd DeSono, Hawaiian guy. I said, who's that? He said, brah. He was a little surfer kid. He said, brah, don't even think about it. That's Mary Adams, the hottie of the school. I said out loud, I said, well, that's going to be Mary Miller because I'm going to marry that girl. And at 17, I did. And my mother had to sign permission. <laughs> Literally. Hey, for the first three months of our marriage, Mary was not only my wife, she was my legal guardian. <laughs> now, in her mind, that has never expired. Tr trust me. I'm still the big kid she's got to take care of. But anyway, 41 years later, when nobody thought we would survive and make it, here we are. And uh, I do whatever I do always. I do it better when she's with me. So glad she's here. Stand up and wave to everybody, Mary. Yeah. Mama looking fine this morning. <laughs> Amen. Also, uh, she'll be, and both of us will be out at the, our little book table, product table. I am so sorry. That book, particularly the Adulam experience, I don't have one copy of that left. Completely sold out. You can still get it on Amazon, but um, I do have a couple of, of the books that we've written. Um, Dynamite comes in small packages. That is a book that tells the story of how it all began for us and for me and my years as a pro fighter and then into the strong men world and all that stuff that that involves. Um, then the most recent book is Circle Builders. And um, uh, 
this will make more sense to leadership, I believe, tonight, because we'll be kind of going through that. But um, please stop by the table, and uh, there's a, some other stuff out there, and uh, it goes to feed starving artists. Um, us? <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but we just want to, in fact, uh, who's, who's, let me give you this, brother, right here. I'll just give you that. And to the first person to run up here and grab this out of my hand, this is yours. I'm giving three, two, one. I saw him coming, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> I didn't want to look at you and look over there. He was coming. <laughs> Amen. Well, I got a word in my spirit for, I believe, for you today, and I hope that you can get something out of it. I'm reading from Judges, the second chapter, verses 7 through 10, and here's what it says. So the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation, many translations say the next generation, the next generation grew up who didn't know the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. Does that disturb anybody else? That's one of the most tragic verses of Scripture in the Bible to me. And so uh, we're going to talk about this. Father, let your word do all it's capable of doing today. Bless people, challenge, provoke people, ultimately change. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. All right. Can we just get together on this right from the beginning moment here? A couple of qualifiers, right? You'll see I do this a lot. Very bad habit. Just bear with me. It's from years and years of youth ministry where every seven seconds I had to have a response or I could lose the room. So this means your turn. You don't have to do something churchy. Just give me a, uh, a noise, something. That just means we're connecting, we're together, right? Here's another thing. Typically, this is how this goes. Your pastor, I'm sure, is aware of this. You know, we go to, as, as guys who travel a lot, we'll go to a new place to speak. And usually, it takes like my second or third visit in that place for this, us to really connect, right? Because the first time you guys are sitting out there just checking me out, trying to decide whether or not you like me. Fair enough. Because I'm standing up here normally, and I would be standing up here checking you out, trying to determine whether or not I like you. <laughs> Come on, look at somebody next to you right now and say, I liked him. I like this guy. Just settle right off the bat. Pastor already called him his best friend, so I, I like the guy, right? And, and, and uh, I'm excited about our relationship as it continues and grows from here. So this verse of Scripture has become the theme for our family. It is what dominates a lot of conversation. It's what has dictated our parenting and our grandparenting styles. I know we look 27, but we're not. We have 
teenagers, several of them as their grandchildren. It dictates, it's the theme of our family and our home. Legacy, in the purest sense of the word, to make sure that this verse of scripture is never true in our case. Because this is not a rookie, y'all. This is Joshua. This is the guy who was one of two that came back in a group of 12 as a spy scouting out the promised land. Yes? One of the guys that came back and said, yeah, it's full of giants and it's intimidating, but we can do this. This is a guy who has walked across the Jordan River. Uh, the, the, this is a guy who, who outlived a generation for 40 years in the wilderness, survived them all to be standing as one of the last handful of guys standing ready to go across the river into the promised land. It's not a rookie. It's a veteran man of God who did what he did, lived for God the way he did, led the way he did, and yet the generation that came right after him didn't know God or what God had done. I don't want to be overly hard on him because I can understand, I think, possibly why that was the case. Number one, it was never modeled to him. Moses never had a, a successor. You say, oh, yeah, he did. Joshua, not really. Joshua followed Moses because God had to pick Joshua up and hit reset or restart basically himself. Moses wasn't the great mentor. It wasn't modeled to him. Maybe, uh, maybe it was because his ministry style, his lifestyle was kind of modeled after that. You remember when he was getting ready to cross over the river and he told all the leaders of the, the 12 tribes, he said, you guys, I want you to get two giant stones. And when we walk across the Jordan River, about halfway through, you're going you're gonna to stack these 12 stones on top of each other. And then when we get across to the side, the banks of the river, you're going to stack the other ones so there's another stack of 12. So that when future generations walk by and see this odd arrangement of stones, they'll ask, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, this is what God did for Israel. There's a problem with that. What if future generations never pass that way? What if when they do, they're not curious enough to ask why? Maybe the truth is, is that Joshua depended on memorials to do what only can be done through mentorship. It's like sending your kids to church. Too soon? We don't know each other that well yet? It'll get stronger. It's like taking your kids to church and thinking that'll do it. And not being obsessed with it Monday through Saturday. <laughs> Here's a question I'm going to ask you. Based upon how you are living your life right now, will your grandchildren, if all they had is observing and connecting and participating with you, based on what they see 
right now, will they grow up to be God-fearing, authentic, passionate followers of Jesus Christ, committed to God and his word? Will they know of what God has saved you from? Will they know what God saved you for? Because it's not as common as you would think that the answer would be yes. Everybody would say yes. But the problem is, is we have a generation of kids who are church kids. Not here. We're talking about California people. (laughs) Who were raised in church, raised by Christian parents, and suddenly are walking away from the church and don't want anything to do with God. Maybe because memorials weren't big enough, strong enough to grab them, and they didn't have mentorship. So when we talk about legacy, we're not talking about just good parenting. We're not talking about, you know, raising happy kids. We're not even just talking about raising kids that have great jobs and make a lot of money. We talk about legacy. We're talking about an an awareness in your life that it begins to affect your thought processes. It affects how you live. It affects how you volunteer and work in the church. It affects what kind of, you know, church and team member you are. It affects how you live your life. And that is to understand that you are not the beginning and the end of hardly anything. That's Jesus. He's the one who was, is, and is to come. Everything doesn't start and finish with you. I know the church world at large has kind of conditioned us to think that even aspects of our spirituality is, are gauged by whether or not things come to fruition or we have a harvest in our life. And so the church culture on the average in this country today is primarily populated by, by consumers rather than stewards. And we watch the televangelists, and you know what they say, right? Send me your $97, and in 97 days, God's going to give you 97 blessings. All the other craziness, slap the television seven times, spin around and shout debt free and, you know, all the silliness in it. It's, 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 it's made us consumers. And legacy is about realizing that there is a story that God is wanting to tell through you. But that story has been told before you got here. It's being told now that you're here, and it will continue to be told long after you're gone. It's about understanding that God, God does almost everything that he does in the context of multiple generations. He's the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He all often introduced himself that way. He is the God that gives a seed, that gives a promise in a generation. And there is no intention for that promise to come to fulfillment until the third generation. He gave a promise to Abraham. Abraham built altars and established dedication and devotion unto the Lord. Isaac comes along, his son, and Isaac digs wells. Isaac has a son, Jacob, who has a lot of boys, a lot of family, a lot of kids. And those 12 sons, those 12 sons rise up and build a nation. And the, the word that God promises to Abraham just starts looking familiar three generations later. 
It's like this. It's like God. It's like the, every promise, every word from God, it, it, it has a lifespan or a shelf life, if you will, to it of maybe 120 to 150 years. And he'll take that 140, 150 year promise or seed and he'll put it into the heart of a man or a woman who's only going to live to be 75. What does that tell you? It tells you that most of us, what we are carrying in our spirit isn't totally for us. It is something that God put inside of you and has a reasonable expectation of you that you guard it, that you protect it, that you grow it and nurture it until by the time your third generation comes along, that thing is bigger, it's better, it's more developed than when it got to you. Say, what do you talk? Wait, 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 what do you mean? You mean that that I'm supposed to live my whole life focused on my third generation? I don't get to, you know, I don't get to consume, absorb, I don't get to enjoy anything. Listen, I'm talking about priority in terms of thought process. And in the thought process, that is precisely what I'm saying. God give us people who are consumed and obsessed with living for their third generation. Now, the consumer puts their thumb in their mouth and goes to their favorite corner and says, that's not fair. Why is that not fair? When we look at the great patriarchs and matriarchs of Scripture, the Bible says these all died in faith, not having received the promise. They just saw them from afar off and lived as though they were pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land. You know why? Because they knew even the pursuit of the promise of God that I know I will not get my hands on it. Maybe my children won't even, but my grandchildren will. But even the pursuit of that word produced a life that was unforgettable. Right? Here's another reason why it makes perfect sense. Because, because it didn't all start with me and it won't end with me. I'm living for my third generation. God's story was being told before I got here, which means that while I'm living for my grandchildren, I am somebody else's third generation. So I will also drink from wells I didn't dig. I will live in houses I did not build. I'll enjoy blessings that I did not earn. Come on, somebody. What if all the great revivals of history, the reason why many of them were short-lived, is God breathed something magnificent in the earth, but it was in seed form. And somebody got a raindrop and called it a deluge. Somebody looked at a trickling little stream and called it a mighty rushing river. Maybe we thought what God had done for us or God did in our church, did in our family. Maybe that was God's like ultimate and didn't even stop to think about the possibility that all God gave us was a seed and that the, the, the big punch, that was like a little left jab for all of you pugilists. That uh, what we think what God did, all he did was just, just a little left jab. And we thought, oh, that's a, that's a Holy Ghost knockout punch. And all God was trying to do was set it up in your generation. 
and then maybe another little thing for the second generation. And the real crux of what God had promised was designed to show itself in the third generation. And we never saw it because what God poured out into the earth, he poured it out into a generation of consumers rather than stewards. What if the devil was aware of this? And he realized, listen, I can't stop what God is doing in their life. I can't stop what God did in this family. I can't stop what God's doing in this church. So I'm okay with letting them clap their hands and say glory to God and come to church. I'm okay with them being committed. I'm okay with them going after God so long as I can make sure that whatever it is they enjoy, whatever their experience is, as long as it dissipates with their life, we're okay. But boy, if they get a hold of something that's got, that God put in them and they nurture it and grow it and become serious about seeing that come to, 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 to life in the second generation and then repeat the cycle till it shows up in the third generation, then we are in trouble. And I think in this country to this date, we have never yet even seen the fullness of any word or promise from God yet. We have great evangelists, great ministries. They came to an end with that person's life and personality. We have movements that had wonderful things to talk about and testify, but with no succession plan. And something came, something, we don't know what it looks like for a generation to stand on the shoulders of giants that were before them. And how far they could see and how much they could accomplish. Good word, Pastor Steve. All right. That's okay. I can respond to myself. I'm good. (laughs) And what, so what if the only thing in the way, the only thing missing to activate this incredible fullness of what God has birthed and promised in your life? What if the only thing that was in the way of that thing being activated was us turning our attention and our thought process from consumption to stewardship? We gotta, we gotta make some changes because you don't get, see everybody wants a legacy, yes? How many of y'all want to leave a great legacy? How many of y'all decided coming this morning, you were not going to raise your hand? I don't care what that preacher asked me today. Everybody wants to leave a great legacy, right? The problem is, is you don't leave the legacy you want. You don't even leave the legacy you pray to leave. The legacy that you leave will be the legacy that you have lived. Because you don't reproduce what you want to. You reproduce precisely who and what you are. Even the intangibles. Oh, glory a Dios. Come on, let's keep going. <laughs> I'm telling you the vision. Look, David, David, boy, he wanted to build a house under God so bad. You remember that? 
He sat there in his magnificent house of cedars and he looked at the ark of God out there under a pole tent and said to Nathan, I want to build the Lord a house. And, and, and Nathan said, and Nathan was a prophet. Y'all understand? Prophets did not miss. I'm not talking about somebody who is somewhat gifted in prophetic ministry where we give them all kinds of grace because some days they're on and some days they're like, hey, shut up and you, you got to sit in the back tonight because you're... You're on an off day. <laughs> Prophets didn't miss. Nathan looked at David and said, hey, go and do what is in your heart. The Lord is with you. That night, God shows up and tells Nathan something that he hadn't even been made privy to concerning the lineage of David. He said, listen, you get up and go tell David in the morning. You tell him, I appreciate his desire for me, but I've been with him. I brought him up from the sheepfold. I, I was with him when he killed the lion and the bear. I've had my hand on him all of his life. He's a man after my own heart. And never one time have I asked him to build me a house. You tell him it's not important, it never has been in his lifetime, and it's not now. You tell him instead, his son will build me a house. What I'm going to do through David is bigger than that. You tell David, the Lord will build you a house. And David got catapulted from consumption and consumeristic thinking. He got thrown into a mindset of stewardship and he spent the rest of his life preparing wealth to give to the next generation so they could build what he wanted to build and didn't get to. Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, what did we do? What did we do? One. And get intentional. Look at somebody next to you and say, get intentional. I think you have to find your generational theme. I told you that ours, man, it's, it's, it's legacy. I live it. I sleep it. I preach it. I breathe it. It's at the core. It's the premise of everything I write, everything I study, all the stuff we do, building men, legacy. To make sure that what is in you shows up in your third generation, bigger, badder, better, more developed than it was when it came to you. Because see, here's the deal. My grandson, who's 16, you know what right he has? He has the right to look at me and say, Papa, whatever you do, don't you go sideways. Don't you get sloppy. Don't you get an attitude and get cross with a ministry and, you know, you get, don't, don't, you don't live sloppy. Don't live for yourself. Say no to some things. Push the plate away. Stay away from certain things. Don't go certain places. You know why? Because what you are carrying is me. It's mine. And when you, it comes time for you to give that thing to me, I need it to be developed. I need it to have been protected and nurtured and grown so that it's bigger than it was when it came to you. That's what your grandchildren deserve. That's what your children and your grandchildren deserve to say. There, and, 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 and people that live legacy, you'll find there's, there comes this theme that begins to develop, right? Let me, say, let me, let me kind of flush that out in this way. So uh, you, you know you, you can't just grow a church. You don't just go and say, I'm going to build a church somewhere. There's things that 
go into that that are very deliberate and you can kind of walk in and tell if certain ingredients have been in the mix or not, yes? One of those is the clarity of vision. You hang around your pastor very long at all and you know, they know where they're going. And the air, the, some of the things they, they may not have specifics about, they know who's leading them. Yeah? So what happens is the clearer the vision is made from your leadership about the whole church and where we're going and how we're going to get there, the more clarity of vision there is from him and from her, then it makes it that much easier for you to find your place in the plan of God for your life. I need to work that for a second, right? Because you remember when God is telling Moses about developing the the 70 elders of Israel? He says something interesting. He said, Moses, and he talks about, you know, getting men from each tribe and good reputation and so on and so forth. And he says, Moses, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take from the spirit I have put on you, and I'm going to take out of that, and I'm going to put it on the 70 elders. Why didn't he just say, Moses, the way that I came on you, I'm going to put my spirit on them? Because that's not how it works. Because these guys were not determined or destined by God to function under their own covering or anointing. They were going to manifest and live and work and function under the anointing that was on Moses. So God said, what I have put on you, here's why. Because what I put on you, Moses, it has already been developed and nurtured. It's gone through, ex- through experiences. It's gone through testing and trying. And after the spirit I put on you has gone through what it has gone through, it's more powerful than me just doing something straight to them. So I'm going to take of you and of the spirit I put on you, and then I'm going to put it on the 70 elders. Here's what that means in the church context. You don't, you don't want to just walk in here and say, God, do something fresh that starts with me. No, you got a pastor who has walked through some stuff. you got a pastor who's shed some blood, sweat, and tears, birthing this thing out of the ground. You don't, you don't want, you don't want a, a reset. You want to come and say, hey, man, when, when everybody, nobody believed in you and you were going through this, that, and the other, and you locked away in a prayer closet and you had an audience with God and God brought you out, the tempering that that puts on the anointing, just give me some of that. So let me come under that covering. And when that happens, then the, 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 the clarity of what I'm specifically supposed to do as it relates to that mantle and anointing on my life becomes clearer to me. Now, I believe that there is a theme, there is a legacy word that God has birthed, has planned, and determined for every one of you in your household. Ours is legacy. That's the theme. I love the story of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. Remember Jonathan Edwards, one of the great Reformation guys? He's the one that wrote that sermon, preached it, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, I think they had about 11 or 12 kids, but they talk a lot in writings about what a typical 
time around the dinner table was for, for them and their children. And he talks about his children getting involved in helping him write his sermons. And his children were involved and had a say-so, had some input in all of the books that he wrote. And it goes on and talks about um, the, the, the theme that they seem to be consistent. Every conversation touched on it some way, somehow. Every plan, everything circled back around and ended up being about this. And here was the theme of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, the law and the justice of God. Now, you take that, you understand that, and then you look at the lineage that that clarity produced. Here's what came from the children of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. 100 lawyers and the dean of a law school, 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians and the dean of a medical school, 65 professors of colleges and universities, 30 federal judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large U.S. cities, three governors of states, three U.S. senators, one controller of the U.S. Treasury, and even one vice president of the United States. How would you like to be sitting on your porch when you're 95 and instead of talking about what you would have done different and what regrets that you have, if you could just sit there rocking on your little rocking chair, slip your teeth back in and say, Blanche, look like we did pretty good. How would you like that to be the case? It's never too late. I know I'm, I'm preaching to some of y'all whose children are on fire and going after God like they've lost their mind. And some of you are sitting there and the enemy's trying to get on your shoulder and talk to you about the fact your kids aren't living for God. Silence all of that. We're not talking about yesterday. We're talking about from here forward. And I'm going to tell you God can turn some stuff around in a minute. The minute we start thinking right, it's never too late. We have to abandon consumerism. Everything is not about us. Everything is not even for us. Consumers think that life is happening to them. Stewards understand life is happening to me. Consumers think life is happening for them. Everything is for their pleasure, for their consumption, for their enjoyment. Stewards believe that life is happening to them. So I got to take what life is bringing to me and make the best of it, right? There's another level that gets even better, and that's called the producers. You have stewards, you have consumers, then you have stewards, and you have producers. Producers are people that understand life is responding to me. Thank you. I was just fixing to turn around and tell myself that. That was good. Everybody say, look at somebody that was not your first choice on the other side of you. Look at them and say, say you got to abandon consumption. Come on, look at them. There's a little break for you. Look at them and say, you got you to gotta leave being a consumer. Got to let God move you to a place of stewardship, and then on even to producing. You have to become obsessed 
with this whole idea of legacy. If you read through De- Deuteronomy chapter 6, when God specifically says, he says, here's how you take, he's talking to his man, his leader, and he's saying, here's how you take my laws, my statutes, my commandments, my blessings. Here's how you get it to thy son's son. Specifically, go back and read it for yourself. He mentions it to your son and your grandson. God is saying, here's how you take what is what I've given you, and you make sure it shows up in your third generation. He said, when you get up in the morning, talk about it. When you go by the way, talk about it some more. When you sit down at the lunch table, talk about it some more. When you, when you go by the way in the evening, talk about it some more. When you lay down at night, keep talking about it. He says, then that's not the end of it. Then I want you to go out and I want you to carve it on the gates of your house so that anytime somebody leaves your property or walks onto your property, they're reminded that something bigger than this house is on this house. Then I want you to turn around and I want you to carve it over the doorposts of all of your doors. And he said, Dennis, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's going to get worse or better depending on how you look at it. Then I want you to take a charm bracelet. It's, you know, a bracelet with all these little things hanging down and, and each vial, within each vial is a little parchment of scripture. It's the commandments of God. Put that on your wrist and he said, don't take it off. And then go get a bigger version of that and put it around your head called frontlets between your eyes. It's the same thing as a charm bracelet, but now it's on your head. And what he's saying is if you want what this... This thing we got going, you and I, if you want this to reach your grandchildren, then you have to become obsessed to the point. You can't move anywhere in your house. You can't get up. You can't move at all. You can't leave your house, come into your house without being reminded something bigger than me is working in this scenario. It's critical. It's just not too long ago, my son our, my son, he's our youngest, 37 now, eight years ago. He wasn't running from God, but, you know, he was running from ministry. Let's put it that way, right? Because he'd come home, sit on the front row of our church that I pastored in Long Beach and sit there, this, raise his hands and tears flow. But he was living half of his life down in Nicaragua and was not doing well. And boy... Only so much you can do when your, your boy is, you know, in another country. And he's talking to Mary one night on the phone, and he says, Mom, tell Dad to pray. I can't breathe. And then the phone went dead. Wouldn't respond to text, couldn't get, any, couldn't get a hold of him at all. Finally called a friend of ours down there and said, Hey, you need to get over to my son's hotel room, like stat, and, and see what's going on. And my son had collapsed out in front of his hotel room and our, our friend found him and we, did, we didn't know, you know, we thought maybe he had some kind of asthmatic reaction to mold or something. We didn't know what was going on. So we did what the worst thing in hindsight that we could have done. Maybe not. I don't know if you want to go to Managua and get treated for something life-threatening. <laughs> that wasn't going to be great. So we put him on an airplane, 38,000 feet back up in the air, six and a half hours back to L.A. When they're carrying him off the, the, the plane, he's, he's, he can't walk. He's gasping for breath. We're like, holy smokes. What is
get him rushed to the hospital. And they, they look at his condition and rush him past a crowded ER. A team of doctors converge on him in the corner and they take him out. And for a couple hours, they got him out. And then they come back to my wife and I, a, a trio of doctors, a cardiac specialist, a pulmonary specialist, and the attending ER physician and say, Mr. and Mrs. Miller, I think you should sit down. I think you should hurry up and tell me what's going on. That's what I think. I don't think your son is going to make it through the night. He for sure is not going to live through the weekend. That's not, I'm not even, it's not even on the radar screen. What are you talking about? Six foot four, athletic, 27 year old son? What are you talking about? He said, your son has had a massive pulmonary embolism. We stopped counting at 14 blood clots in his lungs. And worse is that 80% of his lung tissue is dead. It's not gonna, he's not going to get that back. His heart has blown up two and a half times the size of normal. His liver has shut down. His kidneys have shut down. He's dying. And I don't think he's going to last through the night, but he won't make the weekend. How many of y'all know that'll rock your world? Well, I got in my car and, you know, we put phone calls out to everybody we knew all over the world to pray. I got in my car and drove to the furthest edge of the parking lot, rolled my windows up in my little sports car as tight as I could get them because I was getting ready to say some things to God. I didn't think it would be good for anybody else to hear. I thought I was going to give God a piece of my mind. God, you know what my life is about. I preach legacy everywhere I go. We, we, we teach about this. We're writing about this. And my only son, this is what you're going to do. You're going to come to a guy who talks about legacy and his only son, you're going to take him. This is how it's going to end. He's going to fade away at 27 years old. And I just on and on and on. And God stopped me and said, this is the first time in your life you have ever come to me praying with this kind of urgency when it wasn't about you. Whoa. Because I'm like the, every other believer, man. I know how to go after God for me, right? I need a financial breakthrough. Woo, man, I'll fast like a junkyard dog. Nothing but water, not even a breath mint, bless God, <laughs> to the detriment of everybody else. But nonetheless, fast. And I mean, I, I'll go hard after God. I need a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough in my family. I need something for me. Man, I'm, I, I'll, I'll go on a fast. I'll start praying two or three hours a day. I'll start coming to midweek service, join a grace group. I go all in. Shameless plug for grace groups. Go all in for God. But never had I experienced going to God hard, going after God like he's all that mattered, like I'd lost my mind and I wasn't even on the radar screen. It was about the preservation of the next generation. God said, this is the first time you've ever come to me when it wasn't about you and something you needed. But guess what? You just activated something. And now, you know, we fast forward. God did a succession of miracles, just mind-boggling. We'll tell you that another time. Maybe my son will come back with me one of these times and 
bend a bunch of stuff for you, but he's now one of the top performing strongmen in the world. Horseshoes, wrenches, it don't matter. Just He looks, I said in the first service, Pastor, he looks like he ought to be living in northern Idaho or something. He looks like a young ZZ top, beard, big old beard down to here, and he's a beautiful, amazing kid. I want to pray for people today because I, I believe that God wants to do something in your lives. I, I knew exactly what had happened because of the people that passed me going out of the first service and said, oh, what a word, and then we elaborated a little bit, and I knew, yep, that's exactly what God said he wanted to do. Listen, ain't nothing weird going to happen today. I want to pray for you as you stand. And I want to pray for you specifically. I want people to come down here that this word has resonated with you. I'm not going to take my jacket off and throw it on you. I'm not going to blow on everybody in the room. But God's going to do something special for you today. Listen, here's how it's going to happen. Here's what you're going to know. I'm not going to try to push people over and (laughs) none of that. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning and everything is going to be different. What now occupies the middle of your radar screen, meaning your focus, your main concerns, your primary pursuits, many of that, those things will have moved off the screen. And things you didn't think about before will have come onto the screen. Y'all get that analogy? I use that a lot. I'm sorry. It's the best I can think of. And you'll wake up and, and life will feel differently. What drives you you'll have a different awareness. Because ladies and gentlemen, we have never yet in this country seen the best of a word or a vision. We haven't seen it yet. You can be, you could be the church. You can be the church. How many churches can we think of through history where somebody went, God showed up, something amazing kind of sprouted out of the ground and then by the second generation it had already fallen apart somebody got discouraged abandoned left messed up something this could be the church that shows what god looks like and what he can do in the context of generations to heal a land to change a land not to mention what some of your grand. I was walking through the building the other day, and our, our we got, it's a large church, big building, and I'm responsible for a lot in there. And so I t- was on a Sunday morning, and you know we're running six thousand plus people. I looked over and I walked to the gymnasium first of all, and then the youth auditorium, and there's my my grandson up there playing the bass, just. In the, in the spirit of God, just getting lost in worship. He's just going after it. I look over in the front row of the youth center and there's my 13-year-old grandbaby, Kensington. Got her hands raised, just worshiping God, dancing. And I'm not gonna lie, I started shedding some tears. And then I walked out of there. And I walked into the auditorium, I looked at the platform and there's both of my daughters, Bethany and Stephanie, up on the platform leading worship. I look to the right a little bit and there's, there's Grizzly Adams. 
They look like Duck Dynasty. That's, that's people call them that all the time. Look like a Duck Dynasty guy. There's my son, camera in hand and running some of the production aspect. And I sat there. I said, God, I don't even know what we did. I, I couldn't tell you what we did right. I don't know what we did, but man, this is what I live for. I've, I've vowed again, God, I promise you, if I have to live the rest of my life without, I don't care. This is what I want to see. This is what I'm committed to. The next generation will know God and they'll know what God did. Amen. Come on, lift your hands. Y'all can scoot up a little bit. Don't be scared of me. All right, the jacket's coming off. No, not really. Come on, lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, the rest of you, I, I know you just point your hands in this direction. I think there's a few of you that might want to get down here quickly, that you're just waiting. Don't wait anymore. Step out, get down here. God bless you. There you come. This is not about anybody feeling bad or condemned or shamed for what you may be looking at right now in terms of your family dynamic. Y'all with me? It's about from here on, what's gonna dictate your thought process, how you're going to now determine to live. And I don't care if at this moment, your kids and grandkids are as, as lost as Bigfoot. <laughs> right? God can turn it around in a minute. Turn it around in a minute. I didn't tell you the part, my son, my son at 27, living down in Central America, was an alcoholic at 27. By his own admission, he said, Dad, whole time I lived down there, 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm drunk. He laid in that hospital bed and he said, God, if you save my life, I'll never touch another drop of alcohol as long as I live. I'm not trying to put anything on anybody. I'm just telling you his vow to God. He came out of there and I'm telling you, eight years, nine years, he's hard. He won't even gargle with mouthwash if it has alcohol in it. He's hardcore. Instantly, God can turn it around. God can arrest your kids in the middle of the night and they wake up tomorrow morning and call you crying. You don't know. Just let God do it. You just let the shift take place. Father, in the name of Jesus, do what only you can do. I've preached the word. I've tried to inspire, encourage, motivate. Now, ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to do what only God can do. Change our thoughts. Change our priorities. Change our perspectives. And do it in the way that only you can do it, Pastor. In the name of Jesus. Now, in your own words, will you just ask the Lord to do that? In your own words, God, just change my thoughts. Change my priorities. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.